In the not too distant future 2016 AD There was a weirdo guy named Jack Not too different from you or me He sat around his armbar store Just acting nerdy and being poor He did it all with a cheerful face So they gave him a show and they shipped him to LA I'll watch all the wrestling The best I can find Then I'll interview my guests And try to pick their minds Now no one knows what era Jack will talk about today But he'll probably talk about the guys That helped to pave the way Legends Roll Call Ric Flair Roddy Piper Randy Savage Dusty Rhodes You might not agree on favorites Or other so-called facts Remind yourself it's all for fun So pipe down and sit back For Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium Hello and welcome back to the podcast of Power with the Man of the Hour Too Sweet to be sour. This is Captain Jack Heartless. You are listening to Captain Jack's Arm Bar Emporium on the Steel Cage Network. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. So I am not going to waste any time and we're going to get right into it. So it's been, by my best guess, when you hear this, it will have been about eight weeks since the two parter on uh, ESPN's The Last Dance came out. It was a welcome break. It was very enjoyable. And a huge thank you to PW Insider's Mike Epsonhart for joining me. It was one of my uh, favorite things I've done on the podcast in quite some time. And then right after that, um, I didn't realize how back from wrestling and that would continue. And a lot of that had to do with how thoroughly disgusted I was with the actions of... Uh, I can't even say a few. Uh, several? I, I guess you could go as far as many in the pro wrestling business. Um, not only uh, the workers, uh, but the promoters, uh, the fans. Um, just really disgusting stuff. Um, not my place to tell other people's stories as far as you know, things that haven't come out yet or anything like that, um, I would not do that. As as a survivor of multiple stripes of assault, uh, myself, uh, including this one, fun fact, uh, this hits home. You know, it's disgusting. It's one of the absolute worst things you can do to another human being. And uh, there shouldn't be a place for it. Absolutely, without question, no place for it. You know, the sexual abuse and the emotional abuse and the gaslighting and the things like that, it has to stop. It just does. Um, a lot of people that I know, people that I considered friends, um, came forward and told their stories about what happened to them. And 
it was heartbreaking to hear. And it became even worse when people I considered friends and thought that I knew um, of all different stripes or people that I had worked with in the past were uh, the people that had uh, perpetrated these actions or, you know, made these people feel unsafe or made these people feel small. And it disgusted me. It made me openly question my judgment in the company I keep and the people I work with. And it made me ready to completely walk away from all of this. So I didn't talk about the podcast for the last little bit. Um, didn't really want to watch wrestling. Uh, threw away a whole fuck ton of t-shirts, I'll tell you that much. Um, if you have been paying attention, it's it's not necessarily inside baseball anymore. Um, about my, um, the, the folks that I work with, you know, I've been lucky enough to help out and uh, work in places like Lapel Yeah and at PCW Ultra and GCW and uh, you know a lot of people performers that have crossed over and I've crossed paths with in those places that uh, you know that were mentioned and it was disgusting to see what people had done and how they had made these people feel small, and how they had made these people feel like nobody would believe them and they were by themselves. And I can do nothing but applaud uh, the people that came forward for their bravery and for being willing to put themselves out there like that. And it is a absolutely difficult thing to do. It is one of the hardest things you can do because unfortunately the cult of celebrity has conditioned people, has conditioned some of these neckbeards to go ahead and defend somebody that they don't even know, that they've watched on TV for a week, a month, a year, a decade, uh, that somebody that they don't know or that they think they know. Uh, couldn't possibly be capable of these things. Oh, they were nice to me. Oh, they were this. Oh, they were that. There's, there's not a chance that something like that could happen. And it's so disheartening as far as a hu on, as far as your faith in humanity. When you see people like that, just completely discredit these people who. I guarantee you are not coming forward because it's fun or because they have an axe to grind or things like that. I mean, the statistics are all there, guys. Let's get down, really down to it. The system is not set up to help victims, especially of offenses like these. So... When you say, well, why didn't they go to the police or why did you wait so long to come forward? It's because they're conditioned by both the perpetrators and by society itself that no one will believe them. I mean, be that complete strangers, people in places of authority, your bosses, 
some of your friends, even your own family, can happen with. So, the idea that people can say about somebody that 10, 15, 20 people all got together and this person has convinced themselves that these this group of people, easily a dozen deep or more, got together and said, hey, let's just fuck over this guy's life for fun, for shits and giggles, is so intellectually dishonest, it makes me want to scream. I just... I can't even put into words how angry and how disgusted that makes me. And how ashamed it made me to be a fan and a content creator involved with professional wrestling. In a way, the current climate and the pandemic and the fact that the distractions are all on pause and everybody has time to reflect, I feel like we've reached a tipping point, a necessary one, not only in this, but in things such as social justice and issues of racism and police brutality and things like that, because the distractions are not there. Because you can't just click this away. And these issues have been there forever and they need to be addressed and I'm really glad they're being addressed you know it's uncomfortable it's painful it's necessary discussions and if you as a fan who had no knowledge of this or who has no frame of reference of this if you feel comfortable well guess fucking how uncomfortable do you think that victim is coming forward and saying this And their one solace is that they are not alone and that they have other people coming forward because there are strength in those numbers. So before you say something truly ignorant and completely dismiss another person's pain for all this is done, I implore you. And believe me, I'm biting back a lot of yelling and just brutal things to say but I implore you to listen the best thing you can do as this continues and it will continue it needs to continue because as long as you have people who are convicted pedophiles that are still in this business and people on TV you know people that I have been on a first name basis with still go to their dojos and all these things and you know people continue to do this stuff and associate with these people and not care, it's going to continue to be issue and it has to stop. It does. And it doesn't stop until concerted efforts are made. So I can only speak for myself. You know, I half jokingly say a lot of the times that the views that I espouse on this program are not necessarily the views of my guests nor are they the views of the Steel Cage Network, but, I mean, I'm pretty sure we're a united front on this. I know that I will say 
thank you for your courage and for coming forward. It is the hardest thing to do in the world, I know. And I support you every step of the way. And to the predators and the people that defend them that are listening or are still involved in the world of pro wrestling, first of all, I don't want you listening to my show. You can stop this now. I mean it. This is a place that I have uh, tried to cultivate over the last four years as something where everybody's welcome. I've said before, you've got a uh, you've got a cross-dressing socialist loudmouth hosting this show. I don't know what people expect to hear from me. You know, I figured it's right there on the door when you walk in. I've never hidden my views or who I am, but in case you needed to be reminded, um, pedophiles and rapists and predators have no place here. I don't want you. I will do everything I possibly can to help root you out, to call you out, and to get you out. Time's up. It was up a long time ago. But now we're finally taking out the trash. And if you feel like I'm talking directly to you, you may need to search your feelings and you may need to look inside yourself and figure out why. But the time's up. And I'm going to be a motherfucking garbage man from now on. I will not be content to watch people pray on other people. And I encourage all of you that are still listening to do the same. If you see something, say something. If you see a talent being made uncomfortable by a fan, maybe step in. Actually, no, may, not maybe, do step in. If you see fans being made uncomfortable by talent, step in. You have to say something. Nothing changes unless action is taken. This is not some empty platitude call. This is not something where you're going to post something and it goes away in a week. If you don't continue to work at it, this will always be an issue. And unfortunately, some really good people have walked away from this business, you know, and have walked away from the fandom in the last eight weeks. And you know what? I'm going to be really honest. I supported that decision, and I don't blame them one bit. Um, people like like Pollyanna, I'm really sad to see Jake go. Such a positive force in this business, you know, and in the fan community, and working with independent wrestlers. And it really it it sucks to see him go, but I totally understood why, because I was absolutely on the precipice on the brink five minutes away from doing the same thing myself but every single one of us from the people setting up the rings to those of us putting the asses in seats to those of us selling concessions 
to the people in the ring and booking the shows need to hold each other accountable. It's well past unacceptable. It never should have been acceptable in the first place. This closed-door policy thing is bullshit. You know, the idea of defending the boys is fucking bullshit, guys. And there will be people that will say it more eloquently than me. There's people whose voices will travel farther than me. And that's great. Because that message needs to get out there. I have no ego about how far this goes. But if I can get through to one person, I'll consider it a victory. So as we return to live wrestling, I would encourage you to keep your head on a swivel, look out for each other. Because there are still plenty of stories out there that are not mine to tell about plenty of names that have not been brought forward. This issue is just starting to come to light in a big way. And it's up to us to take care of each other and to weed that shit out. You know, I use the phrase tend your own garden a lot in my my own life. Be it from my friend circle to your social media experience to uh, your your business, your place of work, things like that. You tend your own garden. You know, you don't have to let people in or keep people around that you don't want that that are taking advantage of you or you feel uncomfortable or anything like that definitely applies here tend the guard let's get rid of these fucking weeds before they choke out the entire scene and with that we are going to go on to the rest of the show um, i would like to welcome back uh the most frequent contributor on uh, Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium, uh, the host of Strong Style Story, the host of Boom Goes the Dynamite, and a, uh, you know, a mainstay on this show, uh, Chris Damasino. Hello, thank you for joining me. Hold on, is this thing working? Just new microphone trying to figure things out but yes thank you for having me once again on the show co-host duties as of late on both shows almost a third wheel at this point with boom goes the dynamite just on the basis of not watching AEW as often compared to two three months ago but it's still something that i'm working on as well and overall just excited to be here and talk again thank you for everything that you put forth here over the first couple of minutes a lot of this uh um, completely in 100% wavelength with you on, uh, especially given just the eight weeks of just, you know, constant, uh, you know, people coming forward courageously at that and then just seeing it pile on more and more and just a lot of disheartening things to hear, especially because, as you mentioned, a lot of people whose merches we've owned at one point or another and a lot of things to throw away, but that's really a minor inconvenience compared to what a lot of the victims have gone through. So, you know, just I hope that at some point or another we get this figured out and we make sure that these bumfucks don't have a place in any circle that we frequent and that 
could see them taking advantage of victims the way that they have. Uh, I understand that maybe some people feel regretful about the things that they did in that regard with all these apologies coming through in the aftermath of being revealed and such, but do it elsewhere. Do it as far away from pro wrestling as humanly possible. Uh, just, it's unfortunate that on top of having to fight to change a culture that's been rampant like this one for as many years as it has, uh, and not just in pro wrestling, but in general across the world, you're seeing uh, people speaking out finally about all these abuses and whether it's sports, entertainment, uh, just you can go in really any hobby that you can find that is somewhat niche or even something as popular as sports in general. And you're going to find examples like this one of fans of staff workers of just people that have been taken advantage of in some way shape or form and it's just uh we have to try and change the culture uh sooner rather than later ideally but it's going to take a lot of time it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of courage to go with that so hopefully we can figure this out uh, sooner rather than later but it is nice to be back here and it is nice to uh Someone go back to talking about pro wrestling again because that was something that I fell off from altogether for a couple months there until New Japan came back into the fold, in which uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit about tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in no way did I want to gloss over the folks who have come forward uh, in the movie realm, and believe me, there's a much bigger scab to pull off there, to be sure. Uh, the folks that have come forward in the comics realm. About a lot of big names there. If anyone was uh, has been paying attention, it's it's all there on social media. I feel that the scales have fallen away from the collective eyes again with the severe decrease of daily distractions. I think the the proverbial sunglasses have come off, and as uh, as was said in one of my all-time favorite movies, now people are looking and going, you, you're all right, but you, real fucking ugly. And we're, we're having that sunglasses off moment, or, or sunglasses on moment, I should say, and seeing things for what they really are. And I truly hope that as a society and both and in the microcosm of the pro wrestling community that that push for change and that change continues and it's really the the best thing that we can hope for and yeah change is painful it's not meant to be lasting change i should say it is is painful it is an art process it takes work so these quickie apology videos, some of them going a full fucking hour. <laughs> um, oh, God. You know, I still cannot believe yesterday and that dropping and just anybody who complains at any point in time about New Japan, All Japan, NOAA main events, but will take the time to watch that accordingly and go, oh, well, hey, I think Joey Ryan's right on a couple of these points. Go fuck yourself. Just, yeah, let's just stop it there before yeah. I go on. Also on attention as well, which we'd be here a while if we did. Yeah, so, like I said, predators, fuck off, press stop, 
delete my show. I don't need your fucking listens. If you're going to defend those guys, I don't need your fucking listens either. Because uh, you and I, we ain't going to see eye to eye. Not even a little bit. And uh, I don't I don't need you as a fan. I don't need you as a listener. I don't need you buying my t-shirts. I don't need you come, coming to my shows or buying tickets or doing any of that shit. If you fucking cape for predators, you can fuck off into the sun. In case I wasn't clear enough about that at the beginning. Now, as far as wrestling is concerned. When I was at that moment, when I went to make that decision, and I had already thrown away legitimately three full weeks worth of wardrobe from from people that I had worked alongside or I had watched or I had followed or stuff like that. I was just thoroughly disgusted. And I was openly questioning whether I was going to walk away. People, you know, even people who I thought were, were close friends, who I completely cut off contact with, because all of these people had come forward and I had to be like, I no, I, I can't. I I can't associate with this anymore. I can't be be friends with you anymore if this is if this is what's gonna go on. When I was at that point, I will say that it will stick with me. The one match that actually kind of brought me back, and again, probably sounds silly, I don't want to put any more emphasis on it than it should be, but the one match that really piqued my interest, and I happened to be awake, and I turned it on, and it hooked me, was Tomohiro Ishii versus Hiromu Takahashi. And I don't know where it falls on my match of the year. I don't know if it's if it will be a sentimental pick or anything like that. It was fucking incredible. I was trying not to jump up and down on my couch like a maniac at 3.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. It was everything that Hiromu has said and shown that he could be if given the opportunity. And it really felt like a coronation in and of itself. And that's Mm -hmm. no disrespect to Ishii, who has been one of the five best wrestlers in the world for quite some time. I don't think that is an overstatement. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think if you ask even his co-workers, I'm pretty sure that a lot of them would agree with that assessment. So, to see Hiromu have that incredible match, and to have it with somebody like Ishii, and then go on and wrestle Okada, hopefully not for the last time, um, I gotta say it reeled me back in, and I, I, I guess I owe him a thank you, 
or you know if if I end up leaving anyway it, it might be me shaking the fist from across the pond you know doing the old shake harder boy uh, if I still walk away anyway for for keeping me around a little <laughs> longer but at least at this time I feel like I owe Hiromu a thank you so um I don't know where you fall on that match. I just know that right place, right time, and what it means to me, that it probably carries an added weight for me, that it may not for other people. Yeah, I can see what you mean by that. And again, and to think about it, too, is that it took a pandemic for the New Japan Cup to be shifted around the way that it was, because if you remember it before everything got halted, those lineups for the New Japan Cup had already been released, and it was, uh, as it usually has been every year, a heavyweight tournament uh, between all the guys involved. So we were going to see guys like Carl Fredericks get a shot at it and things of that sort too, but the pandemic uh, keeping a lot of the foreign talents uh, at home rather than in Japan itself, it forced New Japan to change the rules a little bit to where they added junior heavyweights as well as young lions into this year's edition and i think it's one of the uh i think it's one of the reasons why the tournament benefited from it overall because not only did you have hiromu having these sorts of crowning moments uh you know a banger of a match against ishii possibly the funniest comedy match i've ever seen in my life against toriano um an encounter against uh kazuchika okada that i think was good and it held a lot of importance because it was the main event uh, on primetime TV in Japan at that, because that was that particular semifinal show was shown on primetime television for them for the first time in many years uh, in their Golden Hour uh, section that they have there. But I think that Ishi, uh, excuse me, uh, Hiromu Okada was good, but that there's more in them that they're probably saving for a big event with a lot of people involved. But just in general, the tournament produced a lot of different gems. I mean, there is uh, the old man fight between Yuji Nagata and Minoru Suzuki, which was just wonderful to watch in terms of... Hot damn. <laughs> just two dads beating the crap out of each other. What more could you ask for? Uh, but you had a lot of threads. You had Evil basically doing whatever it took to win uh matches which did uh, for spoilers or alert at this point even though we're a couple of weeks out of the tournament did lead him to eventually winning the whole thing uh and some big changes have happened during this new japan tour uh coming off of the pandemic and just uh a lot of things to look forward to at this point as to how certain stuff is going to play out here as we mentioned evil winning the new japan cup was a big uh, was a big thing uh you had sonata coming close but not quite yet again except this time it's his own partner that just sort of you know hit him in the dick one too many times to get it done you had hiromu almost having his real crowning moment and getting back the main event that uh, covid19 stole from him and naito at the anniversary show in march uh so a lot of threads that New Japan played on as well. You had, you know, certain things like Taiji Shimori actually making a good showing for himself in the New Japan side of defense too, making it all the way to quarterfinals. Um, 
as well as the Dangerous Techers setting themselves up for a tag team title match against the Golden Aces by Taichi running the floor on Tanahashi and Ibushi, respectively, in the tournament before Sonata finally got the better of him. So you had a lot going into the uh, New Japan Cup Finals show in Dominion, which was a two-day event in Osaka Johal in front of crowds for the first time uh, that New Japan has done since the uh, halt to things uh, during the pandemic side of the fence. It was limited capacity, of course, at Osaka Joe Hall, so a third of the capacity on both of the nights. But a lot of things happened in those two nights that just, boy, does that set set us up from the time of the recording here in the couple of hours where there's a New Japan road show and then there's some Goku over a couple of days later. So just a lot to digest. And just, uh, I guess we might as well start with the big, big thing that happened here. The turn from the uh, oldest tenured uh, Los Ingobernables de Japón member, Evil, uh, making the switch to Bullet Club at that after winning the New Japan Cup. Yeah. And then the night after, shocking the entire world in the most literal sense by um, not only beating Tetsuya Naito for both the heavyweight and intercontinental titles, but doing so with the help of Dick Togo. Okay. So I feel like we we oh, we pulled out a lot there. Yeah, we we there's a lot. We hit a lot there. So first of all, going back to they had hooked me back in with that Ishi Hiromu match, and I made sure I was watching the Cup final. Uh, I was I gotta be honest, I was a bit under I was fairly underwhelmed, especially with what they've been able to do before with Okada versus Evil as a match. Uh, I will say that looking back on the big picture, the character work that was consistent throughout the tournament from Evil led up to that moment. So good job to them for that. Uh, when he went for the fist bump and went to the two sweet and then immediately went into everything is evil, I was losing my mind. I was like, just... And, and the response from others who were up with me definitely echoed that sentiment. So, uh, in, so well done, in my opinion. Just the fact, the, the complete surprise, uh, the deep pain from poor Milano Collection AT in that aftermath, just openly weeping on live television, mm -hmm. just as they get a, a tight shot on him was heartbreaking um just not not something that i think anybody expected but i will give all the credit in the world to new japan by saying they always had this ready because they had always made a point of lij saying we are the tightest knit stable we were the one that was tempered and forged out of competition we are animal haguchi's boys i'm sorry we are animal hamaguchi's boys we have been wrestling one another since the beginning you cannot tear us down so the idea that something like that would come from within and do that after all that time and it would be it, it would be the guy that helped him 
kicked that off was like a Wagnerian level tragedy. You know, in within that storytelling, it was it was operatic. It was great, and I really enjoyed it looking back on that. But the the pure shock of that happening, but the fact that it was not a shock for shock's sake, is what I appreciated about it. Now, going into the following night and having the New Japan Cup final roll right into Dominion was very interesting and something they never found themselves in before uh, because you're like, well, Jesus, there's no way they take that off Naito right now. and But then it's like, but they just turned evil and with all the people that can't enter the country, you would think he's now the de facto leader of Bullet Club, at least for the moment. And they went with it. They really did. Uh, they had a suspiciously beefy Bushi run down to the ring and get involved. And the fact that it was uh, another of the legendarily scary old men of, J of Japanese wrestling, Dick Togo, the legend. Um, who has history ties with Jado and Ghetto as well, sure so keep that in mind, folks, does. for those who aren't as familiar with the Michinoku Pro days of Dick Togo and just that relationship there. Those guys ran wild in, in, during their heyday, for sure. Uh, arguably, Dick Togo's heyday is pretty much still now, to be honest. Yeah. So. I, I don't see many dudes, I don't see many 50-year-old dudes running around in the kind of shape he's in. Let's be real. Um... You know, he, uh, what a reveal. Um, I feel like the crowd there got it. I don't know how much of the American crowd got it. Uh, I know that, you know, big old nerds for this stuff like you and I immediately got it and what that meant. Yeah. To, to me, it's more interesting than anything because I do believe had it not been a pandemic getting in the way of a couple of things, I don't think this would have hurt the Western side of the audience as much as it did in the fact that Naito would have probably had at least one or two more defenses to solidify his stuff. The match with Hiromu would have been great as well, and people would have been like, well, he lost it to the Minion at the very least. He had a respectable run with it and such. Just the pandemic put a lot of things in halt, unfortunately, to where it almost feels unfair to an extent to, like, uh, Doc Naito for this, but I do think still he's still a made man regardless because of January 4th and January 5th, so completely good on that side of things. Uh, but also the other thing for me is that I definitely do believe this was Jay White's spot for the taking had it not been for the pandemic, yeah. but that they had to improvise. And given that Evil has up until the two nights of the New Japan Cup final and Dominion had done pretty much everything within the company that didn't include winning, uh, you know, junior heavyweight stuff or a G1 climax. If you think about it, he's had an ever open weight title reign, even though that was like 10 days and Shibata beat his ass for it back real quick. Uh, the six man belts, he's held it a couple of times. He's held multiple tag titles with uh, Sonata on the heavyweight spectrum. He's won, won world tag league with Sonata. So, adding the New Japan Cup and then now the heavyweight intercontinental titles, outside of a G1 Climax, Evil's done everything. And that's a 33-year-old there that is basically, once everything is back to normal, he's your kind of like 
if you're thinking of it in the baseball rotation, he's your fifth starter. He's like your spot starter basically coming into the fold for a full rotation of Okada, Naito, Tanahashi, and Ibushi as that portion and Jay White as well too to be included within that. So you definitely have the formula there for somebody else who can do these main events and it's a new star, which let's face it, folks, I know that we like our core four in New Japan as it is, but Okada's a 32-year-old who has about eight years' worth of main event experience, which means main event mileage on him, which might as well equate his body to closer to a 40-year-old at this point until he gets like somewhat of a break. Then you have um, Tetsuya Naito and uh, Kota Ibushi, and while Kota Ibushi looks like a vampire aging in reverse, both men are still 38. And then you have Tanahashi at 43. Jay White and Kazuchika Okada out of the big four main eventer guys that they have right now are the only two that could be considered to be in their primes in terms of age. So you need more people to slide into these roles. And Evil's been at this for a while. So whether you like him or not, he was the logical choice to do this. Uh, I still think Sonata is a while away from this yet, just because outside of the Okada matches, he hasn't shown that kind of extra uh, step to the stuff that he does with his wrestling compared to what Evil's been doing the past year and a half. So I do think this was the right call given the circumstances. And given what it's leading into for Sengoku Lord next week, boy, am I excited at the fact that we're getting a fresh main event that we have not seen in New Japan Pro Wrestling before. Like, Absolutely. this is the kind of stuff that you should be trying, especially in a time like this one where you know there's going to be uh, limitations on crowds and COVID and stuff like that. This is the time to try and throw as much stuff into the wall as you can and see what sticks. Absolutely. And I want to take a step back to something I had said at the tail end of the tournament that I really hope this shows New Japan that they can finally start to move away from this junior heavyweight heavyweight system that they've had since the start of the company, quite honestly. You know, I feel like I've I've always felt, despite what Jushin Thunder Liger, who was reborn as Jushin Thunder Leisure on this show, a uh, big shout out for his amazing attire, uh, going full Magnum PI. Loved it. Uh, I always felt that Jushin Thunder Liger was somebody who suffered from that system, and should have been a heavyweight champion at some point. I feel like his limited interactions with guys like Muda and Hashimoto bore that out, and I felt the rigidity of the way it's set up. Uh, that he was he was somebody who uh, definitely was a victim of that, and I feel the other most obvious one was Kushida. I feel it easily could have also happened to Kenny Omega if he had not stipulated on his way in that he would do it as a favor to help with the changeover of the guard in that division and then would move up. Plus, he also had to have, you know... It was one of those things where when opportunity knocks, you've got to be ready. So, you know, AJ, the Good Brothers, and Shinsuke leave. They all give their notice at the same time. Kenny's ready. 
and he's ready to move up and he does it and he delivers. So he he easily if a couple of things had been different could have suffered, you know, some of the the same issues that I that I think Kushida and and Liger suffered and I think that under a different set of circumstances we easily could have seen the same thing happen to Hiromu Takahashi who from the moment he walked back in as the time bomb everybody looked at that guy and was like holy shit that is it you know I felt that from maybe even if you don't even say that moment but when Another thing you could pinpoint it on, the people who weren't necessarily sold on that were sold forevermore after it. When he houses Kushida in under three minutes. One of one of the best angles I can remember of the last five years in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Just an absolute destruction of Kushida and just the, the style and, and panache that he gave that and... You know, the, the mileage that he put on his body and his return was incredible. It's just, this is a main event guy. And I hope that between that that talent that they have there and the circumstances that led them to make this a truly open weight tournament for a first time ever, that I hope, you know, with him getting the main event spot of the first post you know, the first big post-Dominion uh, show. Big, of course, being in quotations because, you know, Sengoku Lord has not typically been a, a big spot, you know. Usually it's a, a little bit of a lull and we get ready for the G1 Climax. But I really hope that this is showing an an attitude shift, maybe a shift in belief and presentation amongst that company you know you you would think so on some logical level because when you have a guy like ghetto who was a you know pretty much a lifer in the junior heavyweight division but supremely talented and knowledgeable and could always do more and you know he and he and uh uh jato and you know guys like and, and running mates like Dick Togu and Taka Mishinoku went all over the world and did this stuff, you know, and could do it with the best of them. So my sincerest wish is that we get to that point and we start to see more of that. So because I feel... And I, I'll just... Sorry, Jack, just to quickly interject as well too, just as an extra addendum to it. I do think that on Hirobu's case specifically, they definitely figured that this was just going to be a gradual build to where he's currently headed now on the basis of how out of this world his excursion went to where I almost think a lot of people would then, the, cur the current watching of New Japan for a lot of new newer fans, that they sort of hear these stories about Hiromu Takahashi and how good his excursion was, the matches with Dragon Lee and all else, to where they almost expect that to be the norm of excursions when really most excursions kind of suck for the guys in question there until they come back and become stars in their own right. Um, for example, we can talk specifically, given that it 
relates to current events, about Hirai Kawato, who just came back from somewhat of a lack of an okay excursion, but not the kind of like excursion that most people were expecting out of him due to like the standards that they sort of hold out of, you know, knowing what Hiromu did, even though that's normally not the case. But then he comes back as Master Wato, and within like two matches in New Japan, he's already looking like somebody who's going to be a staple of that junior division for the next couple of years here, which is awesome, even though the blue hair and the attire currently might be a little bit, you know, it could, it, it could improve, to say the least, but I dig it. I, Master Wato, go, go forth and do good things, young man. I, I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. I, I of course, will give it more time. I... I... I'm try to shy away from from knee jerk reactions, but I just mm-hmm. I just wasn't feeling it. I I'll, I'll tell you what, my little brother who loves things like My Hero Academia and couldn't get enough of stuff like that, he was all over it. So you there know, you go, I'm yeah. not the target mm-hmm. audience for that, and that's fine. But like, if he can be somebody that's slotted in there and can go bell to bell, and we can get that going, I just think i i don't know i i feel like even if this isn't a breakdown of this of the system even if this doesn't like you know loosen the parameters between those divisions that seem to be so firmly held i am Mm -hmm. cautiously optimistic that we will get movement and believe me there are other people that deserve to make that jump the next name that immediately comes oh, to yeah, mind 100%. El Desperado. let's talk about the fact that El oh, yes. Desperado absolutely is going to get a spotlight match with shingo for the never wait old title and they did it right off the heels of a fantastic oh. match with show talk about maximizing your mm-hmm. minutes while your partner's on the shelf what a match it was awesome uh you know i would say it was as good mm-hmm. or better than their new japan cup match and then to get Desperado immediately mixed up in that mix, yes, please let's underline the open weight in never open weight yeah. title. Exactly. Right. That's a thing that the open weight division has needed for so very long. And I think you and I, now that we have the gift of hindsight looking at it, the more I think about it, the more the sort of Will Osprey into the never open weight division cup of coffee that he had for two months push. Personally, I think that should have been Kushida's. That way you could have at least kept him around in the company for longer and have him here with us still. But, you know, uh, you know that's long past and gone. The very idea that, yes, the OP title is finally being used in a way that you're seeing the heavyweights and the junior heavyweights collide against each other with that belt being the common denominator. Yes, we do need more of that. And then, as you mentioned... Just seeing more of these guys in the junior heavyweight division not be just pigeonholed in it. Because for every case like a Hiromu Takahashi, you have cases like, as you mentioned, Kushida. I'm not going to say liar per se, because he did have a stint as a heavyweight for a couple of years there in the early 2000s portion. And, you know, CTU was a thing for a while. But you see examples where guys that have all the talent in the junior side of the fence not really being allowed to sort of showcase that they can go with the heavyweight guy as in, you know, find ways of trying to make New Japan some more money by, you know, giving them more flexibility when it comes to these matches. I think you can argue one of the weaknesses from Ghetto's booking, for the most part, outside of tacting divisions on both 
junior heavyweight and heavyweight side uh the junior singles division sometimes is sort of lacked uh nowadays at the very least there's enough talent there to still hold it over and ideally Hiromu gets a challenger for the junior title at some point but in a post Sengoku Lord world but it's just one of those situations where again emphasizing the open weight aspect and letting guys with the talent take a dip in the heavyweight waters uh, are two main things that I would like to see going forward from the end of 2020 and onward, if anything. Yeah, and uh, I think that challenger should be Taiji Ishimori. You know, if you're going to continue, if you're going to go back to for- enforcing the old ways, you know, there's there's few guys I could think of that could be the anchor of that division and also you know, assist in the furthering of the narrative that you're telling than to have Taiji Ishimori take it from him. That would be my choice. Uh, You know, who's to say if a G1 will happen or a Best of the Super Juniors will happen? You know, there's been a lot of wishful thinking that they will happen side by side. Uh, You know, there's talk that they may not happen at all, especially since there's no Olympics until next year now in Tokyo, um, which, by the way, with their, you know, pretty good um, virus response, I'm confident that they will have it. I am not confident in our ability to send athletes there because people here are stupid yeah, and childish. Yeah, that sounds about right. So. Yeah, that, that about covers it pretty well. So, but I'll say this just give- Given the circumstances with COVID being a thing within 2020 and the G1 having already been delayed to the autumn fall season, as it is because of the Tokyo Olympics happening during the summer portion, I do think the G1 is most likely to still happen, even if it's in a reduced capacity uh, this year around. But that's the Super Juniors. It's very much a wait-and-see approach at this point, so... We'll have to kind of stay tuned and uh, hear the announcements, see what happens in that regard. But back to the open weight division stuff really quick. As you mentioned, just uh, with El Desperado getting the shot, not only is it the right call for a guy to a guy who's incredibly underrated getting his shine, uh, uh, let's also highlight the fact, too, that he ideally probably earned that with the office by just having a banger of a opening round match with Ishii in the new Grand Cup as well too in that first night. So keep that in mind as well. If you haven't seen that match, go back and watch it as well too. So it's worth it. Well, I, I feel like El Desperado and his prodigious talent have kind of been hiding in plain sight and for a while. And it was one of those yes. if you know, you know mm-hmm. kind of things. Uh, I was shocked at how fast the hype died down about that superb Best of the Super Juniors main event that they built to. They built to it between yeah. him and Hiromu Takahashi mm-hmm. last year. I know you were, in particular, were absolutely banana over that match, and with good reason. Oh, goodness, yeah. Just so well done, because these two have beat with each other for a while at this point, too. Remember, Hiromu was that young lion who got bullied by quite a lot of people during his time before going to excursion. Just one of those circumstances where uh, history was there as well, too, and just 
these two have had some great spots with each other together too. Who can forget uh, Hiromu going for the most brutal of brutal tactics by unmasking Desperado mid-match, only for Desperado with, uh, with the junior heavyweight title on hand to just look at the belt, look at Hiromu and still bash him across the, across with it before picking up the mask and putting it back on like it was nothing. So just yeah. stuff like this in general is just so well done. And Despy is just so, so good. So I'm really excited to see more people get their eyes on, on just how capable he is by going up against Honestly, the best representative for this whole open weight division we've been talking about thing uh, in Shingo Takagi. Just uh, that's the ideal champion right there to build that division around at this point. Have him just run rough, run through, you know, heavyweights, junior heavyweights until finally building to somebody specifically, finally taking him down for that belt. And in the meantime, build something with it. Build this, this what we're seeing here in these samples so far, more of that, basically, going forward. Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, there there was some grousing online that, oh, it shouldn't have been Evil that made the turn. It should have been Shingo that made the turn. I don't think it would have had a, a, a fraction of the impact if it was Shingo that made the turn. Yeah, they would have just been like, well, Shingo's been here the shortest, so... Eh. I guess we should have seen that coming, question mark. With Evil, there's an emotional attachment here that a lot of people have developed over the past five years. Again, the first pareja to join, the first pareja to leave. That's And if you think about it, too, from even just the story perspective, you can easily point it out as just as a guy who felt like he was starting to slip on the hierarchy and he decided that success was more important than friendship. Mm-hmm. And that's the route he's taken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was apparent across the tournament, and that was really good storytelling that kind of built to that crescendo. So I will absolutely give them credit for that. Um, and besides, I think when we finally get to that inevitable G1 match where Shingo and Evil face off, it's just going to be just hate hate on top of hate like player haters ball levels of hate shingo talking about having to go home and uh change the water in evil's mama's dish (laughs) and yeah basically (laughs) that that levels of hate uh but everything they've done with hiromu and how deeply this hurt hiromu and the slow burn down to the fact that the entire time, the year plus he was gone, evil wore that Hiromu red in his hair. The entire time until he came and back. carried the jacket as well yes. too on top of it. So that there, there and again, uh, for those who don't have as much background on this stuff too, they were young lions in the same class. They went on an excursion that around the same time range as well too on top of it. So there is a tight knit bond there between Hiromu and, uh, you know, evil in this situation. So it goes back a while there. There were a lot of threads that were cut by this one single betrayal in the process. And the fact that we're seeing it solidify into some matches, even as early as the aftermath of Dominion in this case, it's exciting. And I know that, a lot of people think, oh, Naito fans must just be so upset about this. I'm like, 
Not really, because January 4th and 5th still happened. Tetsuya Naito still won the double gold. Uh, he's still going down in the history books for that. And there's probably nobody happier than Tetsuya Naito right now on the basis that it's two of his boys uh, going back to, you know, uh, Hamaguchi, uh, just going back to everything and over the years of the stable that these two guys that he's helped mentor during their times uh, with LIJ are getting the spotlight on them now at last. Like, how proud do you think that Animal Hamaguchi is specifically of Naito because of both in in front of a crowd and behind the scenes, he has continued to impart that knowledge? I mean... Yeah, definitely. I, I think the just the idea and the you know, the, the senpai kohai relationship that's a prevalent through uh, pro wrestling in Japan. And, you know, it's that power structure is, is put in there, you know, for, for better or sometimes for worse, uh, which could be a topic in and of itself for several podcasts. But I, I feel like this is an example of a positive use of it. And I guarantee yeah, that he's he's incredibly excited to see two of his boys, two of his guys, you know, go at it. And the fact that this is something that's going to go down. Um, I am incredibly excited for this. Maybe too excited. I don't want to get my hopes up too high. At the same point, I really want it to happen. Um, I also think it's a testament to the character work that Hiromu kept going at, you know, intensity in 10 cities during the entire pandemic, screaming into inanimate objects and cameras about how he hates the coronavirus because it cost him his match with Naito, you know, writhing around on the ground to express his displeasure, just being a general madman. Um, even to the night after the turn, he just, in in Kanjikana, had the word why written over and over yeah. again on his wrist tape on both hands. Uh, to just the anguished wail when he ran to the ring after the bell and, you know, ran people off and, you know, what had happened in the last yeah. little over 24 hours. Just broken down accordingly. And uh, again, that level of energy makes me really curious about what's going to happen with the remainder of... Hiromu's 2020, because I do believe with this new Japan Cup showcase that he put on specifically and with things still uh, gradually coming together on the new Japan side for scheduling and such, I just have to think that if this, if there was ever a year to put him in the G1 Climax, this is it. 100%. That was actually my next point is, you know, you and I specifically would love to see him just win the whole fucking thing but that's probably a little unrealistic it's a little unrealistic but i do think that he's built enough of a profile for himself to where it he could be considered a dark horse of coming into the tournament yeah um god could you imagine even if he if he wins this block yeah, that would just be, again, it'd just be further proof that the company sees that value in him, ideally, as not only just a long-term player in their plans, but as somebody who can carry the company for the next decade. Because 
as Jeff and I have said on uh, Strong Style Story, this last episode and even times prior to this, we do fully believe that Hiromu Takahashi is going to main event a Tokyo Dome one day. I, it's not if, yeah. it's when. I, I hope it's it's sooner rather than later. I really do. Because nothing's guaranteed. I don't think any of us had ever pegged what would have happened with Dragon Lee in San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. Like, we never thought he'd come back from that. No. Because we saw how that Phoenix Blast, like, look, how he literally slid on the mat after after that impact. just, And then you consider the fact that he finished the match on top of that, which is just ridiculous in so many ways. But... That one, one, that one and a half year, like taking those extra six months to just recover and come back, and he's been better than ever since. So I'm just excited to see where the rest of the year takes him. Ideally, yeah, and and really in general, just to kind of see where the rest of the stuff with Bullet Club goes too. Because while I'm not the biggest fan of the fuck finishes that they do with that faction every single time that there's a main event involving one of them. It does make the dynamic really interesting when the rest, when the foreigners are able to, you know, fly to Japan and return to the company at this point. Because if you think about it in numbers, with everybody coming back, they should be at around 13, 14 people, I would say, just off the top of my head. And that's without including the possibility of two good brothers that just, you know, officially are free men as of this weekend. Uh possibly making their appearances back under those colors as well, too, at some point whenever they are able to. So that's looking at about 15 to 16 people in one stable. You have to think that the Japanese guys that are in Bullet Club right now, Evil, Dektogo at his side, Taiji Shimori, even Yujiro Takahashi, the eternal betrayer of everything and everyone, something has to give here. Like, whether that's separation of the factions into two branches of Bullet Club again, or the uh, non-foreigners just go ahead and forming their entire new thing, which, God, we could use that at this point. Like, a new faction of some sort would be great right about now. So, I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, I feel like that's a natural segue into one more thing that I wanted to talk about. And as we record this, we are 24 hours removed from Slammiversary. And moreover, from July 18th, which is when a plethora of 90-day um, clauses, non-compete non clauses ended for those that were dismissed from uh, Stanford. During the pandemic, uh, I made my thoughts on that very clear. If you go back to episode 105 and the, the 15 minutes at the end of that episode. Um, you know, it's interesting, and I will say specifically in the case of Gallows and Anderson, that they are the reason that I paid for a Impact pay-per-view in probably the first time in 12 years, 13 years, maybe longer. Uh, it was a solid show. Um, I would say that the highlights would be the opening tag match that saw the surprise uh, reunion and return of the Motor City Machine Guns. 
against uh, the Rascals. Go out of your way to watch that one. And I would also, uh, I might edge that out slightly and give the match of the night honors to Deanna Perazzo and Jordan Grace, who just beat the fuck out of each other. And had a clean finish and a, you know, a, a bit of a surprise in that finish. And it was, it was great. It really was. That, I thought that match was magic. Um, I think that Gallows and Anderson being added there is a big get for the company. I feel EC3 coming back to that company is fucking huge. Uh, you know, I, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm very biased as far as uh, seeing EC3 succeed. Uh, so very, very happy to see him come back. And uh, also we got Eric Young that came back. Um, I'm probably uh, forgetting a couple of people here. But um, yeah, just it was a solid show. It's going to be very interesting to where they go from there. Having, you know, I, those of us who are PWG fans knew them better as Monster Mafia. But having the North roll right into a tag title defense against Motor City Machine Guns on Tuesday is definitely going to put some eyeballs on it. I think if given time, that could be a, a fantastic match. Um, so I think there's things they definitely did right. Um, and I also say that because they confirmed, they being Gals and Anderson, uh, that they are waiting on the clearance to travel again, but they are returning to New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, yes, that does beg the question, since that is confirmed, where do they land? And you made a great point for me. Bullet Club is looking pretty darn full right about now. I mean, just with the main event guys alone, you have Evil, you have Kenta, you have Jay White. Um, you know, right beneath them, you have Taiji Ishimori, you have uh, Bad Luck Fale, you have... Um, G.O.D. and just so on and so forth from there but I something tells me that Gallows and Anderson don't return to the Bullet Club so the interesting the only two things I can see are that Rocky implores them to join Chaos or we see the start of something entirely new Yeah, and it would be a very interesting turn of events given the fact that Carl Anderson is one of the four founding fathers on the Bullet Club side of the fence, which is why I think most of us do believe it's sort of a slam dunk. Hey, they're going to come back to Bullet Club and, you know, deal, you know, work with Tama and Tonga and all that stuff. But there is some interest there in the fact that a Bullet Club original sort of comes back into the scene, looks at Bullet Club and goes, nah, man. That ain't what we used to be kind of thing and works around that and that. And you have sort of an easy end for the good old hoots against, you know, uh, the Tongans in this situation. Uh, it's definitely a, something that could be set up in that regard, especially if they decide that, God forbid, World Tag League has to happen again at the end of this year. Um, it's a situation where I'm going to be interested to see what they do. With that, once they're able to travel and come in and see specifically 
where they land, whether that's going to be... I just think most likely that it is a situation where Evil is going to take a couple of guys and split off into his own faction because Jay White is a snake and cannot be trusted, and he's actively already thinking of 20 different ways to fuck over Evil at first given opportunity once he's back in Japan, so... You know, it's only ideal that the new guy that they have, you know, currently running things in Bullet Club has some sort of contingency plan once the uh, King Switch, if you will, decides to come back. Yes, uh, I agree. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's it could be interesting. Now, whether it's more interesting than what they initially had planned for them last year when they were supposed to come back is an entirely different matter. Um, highly, highly recommend if you listen to one show other than this this week, and if you're still listening to this, we thank you as always. Um, the Countdown to Fucktown episode of Talkin' Shop, which resulted in them surprising folks and showing up live in the ring at the undisclosed studio location they were taping Impact Wrestling, confirming their signing there. Uh, during the nearly two hours there and with uh, Ryan Satin, friend of the show, as a, the moderator, uh, they really touched on some interesting things. And the most interesting things were that they said they would come back to New Japan and beat the fuck out of John Moxley, which would ultimately result in uh, the machine gun with... Doc in his corner beating John Moxley for the United States title at the Tokyo Dome. And yeah, that could could have been definitely interesting if plans didn't get in the way, obviously with COVID and such. Because yeah, that's and that seems very viable because that could could have gone right into Lions Break and what they're trying to do here in America, which I haven't even watched yet. I haven't gotten that far. Um, I can't do, I'm not to full immersion again, just yet. Yeah, uh, understand. I'll just give you a couple of highlights, if anything. Filthy Tom Lawler looked really good in this third episode that just came out this weekend in a match against Rocky. So hopefully he continues to be a mainstay in these. And Carl Fredericks has graduated now, and he's picking fights with Jeff Cobb. Boys, is it going to be good when those two up each one on one? You you cut out there for a minute. I thought you said that Carl Fredericks picked a fight with Jeff Cobb. Yes, and he graduated from the Young Lions side of the fence, so he's got new fancy gear and everything now. Oh my sweet summer child! Our boy Carl what a looking good. He's made. He's looking good. What a mistake <laughs> he's made. And I like Carl. I like Carl. He's uh he's a friend of a friend. I've met him before. Great dude. I'm going to I'm going to miss him when he's gone. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, yeah. I took him picked. <laughs> that's that's good to hear. Um definitely interesting. I will check that out. I am definitely a fan of Filthy Tom Lawler. So, that sounds great. Um I I had a wish list of guys that could join up. Man, I would love to see somebody like an Eric Stevens for example, get involved with New Japan USA. And, uh, you know, a tag team like Kevin Koo and Dominic Garini would uh, would be a hand-in-glove situation, too. So I, I would love mm -hmm. to see those options explored. 
Um, there, there is one or two guys that they have over there right now that I absolutely could not be bothered to watch. Um, I have an active disinterest in watching them. TJP. Um, yep. So yeah. Hopefully... The, the, I was about to say, I'm like, yeah, it's probably the same guy that we're thinking of and lo and behold it is. So I, I will give it a shot. I, I will get around there. I know that it is on new Japan world which is good stuff. Um, you know, it gives them uh, more content during a time where, you know, we're still starved for content and a lot of places are locking back down because, mm-hmm. quite honestly, we people got in yeah. we opened mm-hmm. way too early. Uh, so the other interesting thing that they said was they talked about that they were going to work it so that they would be able to take dates with New Japan while still either work while still working with AEW. And they talked about being the catalyst in the main event of the very first episode of Dynamite and beating the shit out of the Young Bucks at the end of the show. Right. Um, the things there. And I suppose and they would be the ones for Inner Circle initially with Jericho. That was the uh, idea. That makes a lot of sense. You look at it like who else would it have been? Um, you know, that, that's a very interesting idea. They said there is some hard feelings with some folks uh, still there. You know, they said the things with them and the Young Bucks are cool now, but other folks, you know, are probably still hot about it. Um, from the way they were talking, Tony Khan. Tony like, Khan. It's probably Tony Khan, most likely. I don't know. It, from the way they described it, my best guess was Cody. Sure, right. him too. But I think Tony Khan's probably fairly salty on his own end too which is understandable given the circumstances yeah um i'm very interested to see what happens because now you've added i tend to fall on the side that i enjoy gallows and anderson as a team yeah i I like them as well i I don't think they're world world beaters but i like them just fine i think they're a great monster gaijin team I think that people didn't realize how good they had it with those guys until they left and what was left once they were gone in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, not to not to pick fights with anybody and stuff like that. I just think it took a while for um, for a team like G.O.D. to grow into that role. I feel like it took quite a while for them to grow into that role. They eventually did. Um, I just personally kind of preferred Gallows and Anderson myself. So I'm excited to see what they can do with a team like the North. Uh, boy, they could do some great stuff with a team like Motor City Machine Guns, um, which would be really cool. And then when they get over to the New Japan side of things, uh, yeah, you, you have teams waiting for them there as well. Although, much like with the singles in the Junior Heavyweight, I would love to see Sho and Yo... Um, if they don't get broken up into single stars to graduate into that heavyweight division. Yeah, that, that could be a possibility, but I do think at this point that possibly for the betterment of them both, uh, that show continues on the run that he started going into and that Yo breaks out into singles. I think there's been a little bit of talk on it, just given the history, and I think I would be more than okay if uh, after his recovery, Yo is introduced as a member of LIJ, because if you remember bef- 
before he went on an excursion, whenever Bushi needed a partner for junior uh, heavyweight tag stuff, Yohei Komatsu was the uh, young lion, the cocky young lion at that, that picked up the slack in that regard. And he was at times looking better than show before the two of them ended up going on excursion. So there's that threat to consider on top of it. So another it, it would be minor thing there, but it would be interesting because I do think that at this point they are invested enough in show to try and make the singles run with him work. And he's looked good so far in it, so might as well let him run with the ball a little bit more. It it could be interesting, and, you know, that tag division is pretty wide open. You know, Tanahashi and Ibushi together was a temporary situation. Um, You have the dangerous techers now of uh, Taichi and the uh, curiously without a modem Zack Sabre Jr., yeah, I, I really hope now that he found uh, his way into the IWGP uh, heavyweight tag team titles that the uh, his phone password was written somewhere in like the back of the strap or something so he can actually get to it at any point in time. That'd be great, by the way. Would be, wouldn't it? It, it would be. Um, but yeah, you know, they they have teams. It's it's going to be interesting to see if any of them are going to be long term or where things go from that, but it's it's pretty wide open there, and it's it's an interesting situation because will this open the floodgates for a new Japan Impact working relationship or will this be a one off? Because you have guys from AEW that work with New Japan. And uh, that doesn't, you know, that door still seems like it is a forbidden one <laughs> to steal a line from yeah, uh, the build it, it, to Jericho and Tanahashi. And I would even say as well, too, that even the relationship with Impact, even though it's a different name and Anthem is running things, Kazuchika Okada still remembers that excursion vividly. Mm-hmm. Vividly. <laughs> So I think if if there's anybody that you probably have to convince on whether Impact makes a good uh, working partner at some point or another, it's probably going to be Little Kazu because, boy, he's got some reason to have beef with these guys. Yeah. uh, Traditionally in pro wrestling, the main event guy carries a lot of weight. You know, has a lot of say. So it's... uh... I 1,000% don't blame him for not wanting to work there and even with the changeover, you know, for, for having hard feelings because they almost uh, they almost killed a uh, main event, you know, before it happened. Uh, you know, but killed a main eventer, a legendary, in my opinion, main eventer. Uh, you know, <laughs> there are some folks out there especially our our pal and video essayist extraordinaire, Joseph Montesillo, who, by the way, I hope you're staying safe. Um, everybody go watch his stuff. Um, but he vehemently disagrees with my assertion that Okada is, you know, one of, if not the best wrestler that can be out there uh, right now. You know, I, I, I still guess... think he's a top five guy, but he definitely disagrees. Oh, yeah, I've seen those, and I'll say this as well, too, just 
because I can respect his opinion on faking that Evo and Naito was the worst match out of the year outside of the WWE cinematic matches, but I vehemently disagree with it. So we'll just leave it at that uh, as part of it and, you know, continue to go our separate ways. Do definitely continue to support his video essay work. Uh, the King's Road is still a phenomenal look into that all Japan era of the 90s there. And it's only going to get better and better with the deeper that he goes into that catalog dive. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's very interesting to see what happens, but I think that what's not up for debate is that, uh, Okada definitely is going to have a say whether that becomes a, a bigger thing. It's just, and if he doesn't, I guarantee you ghetto, that was, that was his passion project. And despite how things may appear on screen, that is still his passion project is Okada, you know, or at least one of them now of several. Um, so just how bad it got for him, I think that's worth people remembering and taking a look at in something like the Impact Plus app because it's all there. So it's not like it's lost to the sands of time. We're not talking some episode of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling from 1974 where it got taped over. <laughs> it's readily available. But, um, you know, it's going to be intriguing what happens and who works with who or, you know, if these are going to be isolated incidents once everything opens up and it becomes safe to travel again. Um, whenever that may be, uh, I, I can't imagine that, uh, John Moxley as the AEW world champion, as he currently is after his most recent title defense, uh, would continue to be able to be one of the main event guys for new Japan, but you know, stranger things have happened yeah. before. Uh, I'm, all, uh, I'm almost just waiting at this point for like the next big press conference that new Japan does when announcing cards that at some point or another, they just announced outright. Well, uh, we're vacating the U.S. title again because no defenses have been made over the past six months uh, kind of situation and try to crown somebody new while in the country of Japan for the meantime. I mean, that's definitely a thread that they have done so in the past, so I wouldn't be surprised if they pursue it in the next like month or so, to be honest, because it's starting to look close to that six-month mark since that defense against Minoru Suzuki at New Beginning, so there's that to consider there. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And boy, that remember that match? Match feels like a decade ago now. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I almost remember too that you know Zack Saber Jr. was like the next person in line on top of that, and then COVID happens. He forgets how to tweet on his Twitter account, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Funny how that works. Real funny. Not funny, haha. More no, like funny yeah. Uh, this shade will continue to get thrown until something is said, especially from him. Yep, absolutely. Um, since we mentioned it, I, I guess we can we can do. I feel like Peter Falk at the end of a Columbo movie, a TV movie, saying, "I know one more thing." Um, AEW. Uh, since the last time we spoke about it. Uh, FTR have come in, uh, your mileage may vary, but I thought the eight-man tag was phenomenal, 
at uh, Fighter Fest. I thought their match with uh, the Lucha Brothers was great too. I have I like that they. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Before you finish, I do have a quick hot take on FTR because I'm probably on the other side of the camp as well too. And this kind of came to me like clear, clearer than ever over the weekend. The North, Ethan Page, Josh Alexander, do everything that the FTR say that they do in terms of tag team wrestling, except better. That's my hot take. Interesting. Um, maybe it was because of their competition, but their uh, their match on Slammiversary didn't excite me. But that's probably because they were facing, you know, a, a team of guys that hate each other in storyline, and Ken Rock and Sammy Callahan. Um, it, it just, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it. Uh, that That is a hot take, though. That's very interesting. And since I may, you know, since I may go out of my way to try to make a, a stronger effort to watch Impact again for the first time in Lord knows how long, uh, I'll have a better comparison point for that here coming up pretty soon. But, uh, I don't know. I like those matches. Um... Yeah, it's not to say that FTR is bad by any means of the imagination. I just think that when you consider the hype that they come with and, you know, people talking about this particular style that they work, I just think there's a team out there already currently that works that much better than they do. Not that their stuff is bad, it's just there's a tier, then there's a tier above them kind of thing. So still uh, very high high caliber, but... Colin Delaney and Cheech called them the old man boner machine. On their, on their podcast. They have a great podcast called DreamWork, uh, where they break down a different tag team and uh, how they would, inevitably how they would wrestle them each week. Uh, it has been one of the highlights of the lockdown for me as far as podcasts. Go check that out. They deserve that love. But a couple of weeks ago, um, one of them referred to the revival as the old man boner machine because they do the, the spots of like a million old tag teams. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Uh, but I, I feel like they're being booked smartly in AEW so far. They're, they're building slowly to an inevitable uh, tag title match with Kenny and uh, Hangman Adam Page. And by the way, I think the building of Adam Page has been one of the best things they have done oh, yeah. in the last six months. 100%. Uh, he was the highlight of Stadium Stampede for me alongside Sammy Guevara, who Fuck yeah. has had his own fair share of issues, but unlike a lot of the people in the current and uh, in the current environment, has at least, you know, not only owned up to it, but actually had a conversation with the person that he directly offended and at the very least there was some sort of adult understanding at the end of it all and now he's you know serving his penance for it so there's that to also consider as a thing there yeah um i'm in that case if there is actual change behind it yeah, exactly. I'm, That's the biggest thing that we're going to have to wait and see at this point. Like, the initial steps have been great, but it's when he comes back, it's a situation of, like, do you live up to all the shit that you said, or is it just going to be the same old bullshit again in another six months? Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that there was an actual apology and an actual dialogue with the, uh, with the aggrieved party definitely was streets ahead of every other single person 
everyone and definitely singled it out. So I'm at this point, uh, the best I can tell him is that the jury would be out on this. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll leave it at that. But uh, yeah, Adam Page feels like the most over guy in the company, feels like the most organic guy in the company. Uh, it is very intriguing about what happens. I feel after what we saw last week on Dynamite that uh, we're starting to see the seeds of Kenny starting to lose his mind. Uh, we see his tag team partner drinking with their prospective challengers. Uh, we see said prospective challengers pouring beer all over Kenny. And I felt for the guy. I don't drink either. I don't, I don't want fucking beer around me. Um, so... It's, it's going to be very interesting where that goes, and I heard a wild rumor, which I will again very much stipulate up front that this is a rumor. Um, take it as nothing more, that there are talks with the cutaways to Tully and during multiple matches, you know, watching people, that they are going to reform the Four Horsemen. And that not only will they reform the Four Horsemen, but it will actually be called the Four Horsemen as Conrad Thompson supposedly owns that copyright. There you go, then. I don't know how to feel about that, and I have no idea as to the veracity for that. It certainly makes a good soundbite, mm -hmm. but you would obviously think that would be Cody and the Revival and one more. But at this point, having it be Adam Page as the fourth, I feel would be misguided because I, they probably went into it thinking that they were going to turn him heel out of this against Kenny and have a series of main or semi-main event matches all over the place with that. And Page is the baby face here. Yeah, just 100%. It's the right call at this point. Adam Page, and we were even talking about this during Revolution, during that tag match that they had against the Young Bucks, and that in the aftermath of it, we're just like, there's no way in hell they're going to turn Adam Page after tonight. There's no way. Just, it does. If they did, I just feel it would be the wrong call at this point. Yeah. I And say what you want about them um and believe me they they still have their issues to get through um but at least with storylines they seem to do a better job of being uh willing to change and being willing to listen to a crowd rather than other you know uh their larger competitor at any rate um i will say that uh they could uh they could use some work in the uh, diversity department a little bit. Um, I feel that uh, definitely salient points have been made on this point uh, by folks like AJ Gray and Leo Rush. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see where that goes from there. But they've at least been, you know, willing to, you know, kind of mold the course accordingly, you know, based on crowd reactions. Yeah. Also, quick addendum before we move further into AEW talk, just because we did touch on the basis of what AJ Gray, Leo Rush, Darius Lockhart, and so many others were saying over the past couple of days, 
if for those of you who are listening out on the internets, uh, if your first instinct is when you see a person of color tweeting about these issues that have been rampant in pro wrestling for a very long time at that within the realms of social media and your first instinct is to take every possible slur that you can think of and search it alongside that person's tweet you're a part of the fucking problem get over yourselves actually listen to what the conversation is happening that these people were bringing up and not just focus on oh they said these horrible things yes Horrible things were said by a couple of those guys a couple of years ago. AJ Gray's tweets, for example, over like the last six, seven years, that shit should have never been said, period. It was dumb of him to do. Thankfully, he owned up to it as much. And from there, it's just a matter of, you know, okay, that's good that you know this is not something that you should have said at any point. Don't fucking do it again kind of thing. And, you know, show that, which I think for him specifically, he's shown particular growth over the last couple of years and people attest to as such but it's just it just feels so it feels more messed up than anything that people are willing to turn the conversation of well you did all these horrible things a couple of years ago so you can't say all these things about what's happening now and stuff like that like trying to derail something that needs to be a conversation that is had if maybe i went on a tangent here i'm sorry but just it's irksome to say the least no, it's it's something that definitely very much needed to be said, and it's a very, you know, it's it's a very salient point and a nuanced argument. And I know people will say, "Oh, well, this is what you get for cancel culture, and cancel culture is bad and stuff like that." And it's just like, nah, you know, that's that's a bunch of boomers thinking that uh, people being held responsible for their actions is a bad thing. Yeah, you don't have to forgive somebody for for saying that seven years ago or anything like that. But at the same time, you don't necessarily get to derail a, a very frank discussion and with very, very valid points about uh, the institutionalized racism of the professional wrestling business either. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that is all I have to say about that. Yeah, and then specifically just to bring this back over to the AEW side of the fence, it's been obviously a couple of things. Cody's had the TNT title for a little while now at this point, has done four defenses, I think, as of this past week. Uh, good matches all around with them, a couple of new talents being introduced. Sonny Kiss recently finally got uh, to debut on Dynamite, which was wonderful to watch and just excellent stuff. Sonny Kiss is going to be a star push Sonny Kiss to the moon. Uh, that's really all yep. I've got to say on the subject matter right there. Uh, on top of it, uh, Chris Jericho during the course of this pandemic, even though Chris Irvine has some highly unfavorable opinions that he really, really should just keep, if you're just... Uh, it, it's problematic one, to say the least. To say the one least. One step forward, two steps back with that guy. Yep. Uh, 100%. But... Somehow the Chris Jericho character turns himself into the best color commentator, like arguably in wrestling right now, which has just been phenomenal. It's been a lot of fun to watch, especially during the really heavy uh, pandemic episodes where they were just filming everything out of uh, QT Marshall's uh, 
training school area somewhere in Atlanta, I think, is what it was that they were using. So, something akin to that. But uh, there's that to consider. His match with Orange Cassidy a couple weeks back was just possibly one of the best that Jericho has done, singles match-wise, in years. Uh, Orange Cassidy continues to be one of the best things going in the company right now for AEW. Oh, my God. Just cannot say Cannot say enough good things about freshly squeezed himself. Um, best friends somehow stumble into having the greatest entrance of 2020 throughout this pandemic. Sue becomes oh, a legend in the process of that as well. Trent's mom, for those who don't know. Trent's mom saying, go get him, Greggy, and give it to having her... Uh... Having him come over for a kiss and, was and, fantastic. And, and and poor Greg just trying to maintain the mean mug throughout the entire process because he's walking into a main event acting title match that he's got to still keep his head on for. So just... Loved it, loved it, loved it. So yeah, there's, there's room for improvement there, but there's things they do really well yeah. that put them apart from just about every other wrestling show. Uh, I will say that the, the elevation of Orange Cassidy and how they he got... He got Jericho to go from you'll never get a rematch because you got too close to getting so mad to here it comes. Rematch. Revenge. Yep. I smell. I stink. I smell like orange juice. Orange. I, That's a $7,000 check. $7,000. Jericho immediately pointing out the value of an article of clothing when it gets ruined is uh, another Jericho stable right there. Also, a couple of other things to point on as well that shouldn't be... Uh, lackluster. I'm interested to see what they'll do with the women's division being as sort of uh, held back because of COVID and some of their talents not being able to fly into uh, Florida, possibly for the better, given that's a cesspool in and of itself there for COVID-19. But just uh, Hikaru Shida doing her best uh, with what she's got there, her and Nyla had a fantastic match in which Hikara finally beat her for the title in question there a couple of weeks back that people should go out of their way to watch, in my opinion. The other big thing as well is just we have can touch on detail even before the pandemic that Taz and Excalibur have some really good chemistry together, doing commentary for AEW Dark and then sometimes on Dynamite as well, but... Taz as the mouthpiece for Brian Cage is just some brilliant bit of booking they've done over the past two months. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. And then the Um, reintroduction of the Fuck the World title as well on top of it. Just cherry, uh, 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 basically that icing on the cake. Yeah, Taz has been really enjoyable. This is the Taz I grew up on. This is the Taz that I you know, drew me into ECW. And um, I I will say, you know, working from home and with my job got a, just got the edict that because of the way things are going, we will be working from home until 2021 rolls around. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have completely redone uh, what I have affectionately dubbed the Memorial Suzuki podcasting hall in my home um there is art everywhere i can turn my head slightly to the right from where uh, my desk is and there is a hd tv and i have to say that i've been thankful um I, as much as i thank aromu 
I, I then owe a secondary thank you to Mick Foley because I was sent uh, an anthology of Cactus Jack's work in ECW. And these are pulls from the original tapes, no dubbing, no censoring from the WWE Network, anything like that, and I had a ball. Very enjoyable, and it was a blast seeing Terry Funk and the Public Enemy, and specifically it was a blast seeing Taz poke in and out at times too, to the point where I would really like to revisit that Taz stuff, and the fact that dovetailed so nicely with the stellar work that he's been doing with Brian Cage right now. Um, really enjoyable. And then the crowning piece of that, being him being able to call half of the show before leaving to do the main event and seating the desk to Jericho because Tony Schiavone was being held out as a caution, precaution for COVID was, uh, was great. You know, he has a lot of insight but he's still a bad motherfucker. Uh, the character choice for him throwing in the towel like that is something I'm willing to see where it goes. And I'm intrigued to see what happens from here with that. Because it was another sign of he may not be able to fully control an absolute unit like Cage. But uh, I want to see. Uh, you know, it, it made me at least want to see more. He's, I would say... Right after Orange Cassidy, he has been one of the MVPs of the show, without question. And has been a big, big highlight for me. So, you know, the my the the 14-year-old Jack still has such fond memories of Taz with one Z that it was so great to see that he still lives and breathes and talks. Beyond that, I think that's probably a great place as any to... Uh, to call this one, we were definitely all over the place. And as always, I can't thank you enough for joining me. You know, especially, I, I, I waited quite a while because there were a lot of things that needed to be said. And I uh, am, am grateful, as always, uh, for your friendship, uh, for your insight, uh, for your intellect, and especially at a time like this for your humanity. And I will cede the floor to you for anything you would like to say as uh, as parting words here. Uh, for me specifically, I figure just again, we've I think pro wrestling in general, and even you know other corners with different hobbies out there, we've got a lot of work to still do to make things better, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, we may falter uh, considerably, maybe a couple of times even in the process, but just. Trying to do the best for those around us, I think it's all we can ask for at this point. Uh, outside of that, nothing really much else to do. So I guess this is where we go into the plugs. Plug away. Fair enough. Uh, so for me specifically, just uh, Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Brazilian Fury. That's Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. You can also find my other uh, podcast, a uh, couple of the podcasts that I have, uh, Strong Style Story, which I do with Jeffrey Russell. That's over uh, in, you can find the Twitter for that, at Strong Style Story, without the E in style, because Twitter character limits do a thing in that regard. 
uh, strongstylestoria at tumblr.com for the daily blog that Jeff keeps up and that he continues to give me shit about for not contributing in any way, shape, or form, rightfully so, I, sh- I should add, uh, on top of it, so you can check that out. Jeff tends to update that anytime that we get uh, news from the New Japan side of defense, results, uh, so forth. We just recently posted episode 65 of it in the PWOM podcast network. You can go over to soundcloud.com slash pro wrestling only to find that or your other podcasting means. So your uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, pretty sure we're all over the place in that regard. And then there's also the other passion project that I started this year without realizing that COVID-19 would give me enough time to actually get a couple of episodes of that out, which is uh, a podcast called Soundtracks on the Sticks, in which is my friend, uh, per- personal friend Jordan Young and myself delving into the world of video game soundtracks and talking about them. We've got about four episodes that we've done so far. Uh, most recent one was on Persona 4 Golden. You can find that actually on the Night of the Living Geeks uh, podcasting network, notlg.com, soundcloud.com, slash notlg. That's the same network in which close friend of the show for Jack and I, uh, John Pingle, uh, co-runs. So definitely give that network a check uh, and check it out both for my particular podcast there and the other fine podcasts that they have on there as well. Awesome. Uh, I... I still owe you guys an episode of that. Um, I've been playing through some things and starting to get into some games. Finally beat Jedi Fallen Order, which actually might be my choice. Spoilers. Um, But uh, starting Paper Mario, the Origami King, uh, waiting as patiently as I can for Retromania Wrestling to drop. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, keep... Definitely listen to that podcast, guys. It's a fun time. Uh, keep an eye and an ear out because uh, the plan is for me to eventually get on there at some point when I figure out what the fuck I want to talk about. Pretty much. <laughs> um, in the meantime, uh, please, by all means, uh, continue to support the people that support us. Uh, Lapel, yeah. And uh, the people that make that engine run uh the things that we've uh, been able to do in the midst of this it's been you know be it's given me great joy to be a small part of the things we've been able to do for others um and uh please follow us at lapel yeah pins on twitter and at lapel yeah on instagram to keep up with those efforts um and to see uh what crazy shenanigans we get back to here um also, you can follow my adventures on Instagram at Captain Jack Heartless. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Heartless. And uh, it is my dedication to you that you will be able to find this much more often in the Steel Cage podcast feed. I thank you for your support. I apologize for the layoff. There was a damn good reason for it. It is, it is hard times all around, baby. Hey, got my dusty in. Uh, but, you know... Watch out for each other, check in on each other, and uh, let's continue to try to make wrestling a better place, one day at a time. And with that, for myself and for Chris Damasito, I say thank you for listening, and keep safe. It's a 
important to practice good hygiene. At least if you want to run with my team, I'm about to get into some that I've seen. This fool's breath on me so bad will melt your ice cream. They say don't say nothing if you can't say nice things. Sitting too close to him on board like my ice sting. I tried to be subtle, hand him a stick of gum. I was a victim of breath on him. Running his yap about what set he from. Gotta get some gum, gotta get him some. He turned it down, his teeth was brown. It's cruciating for and it was a new sensation. I had to ask the dope to pass the soap. Cause his coat had to stitch of crustaceans. Or bathrooms in the bus station. He had a can of OE and some raisins. Amazing. Had to Tobio, he didn't know. Used to the fragrance. Cause as the days went without bathing, he felt manly and not like a maiden. He Fungus. Said he worked on people's toilets with plungers. Girls, not the guy you would want the tongue, yeah. So guys, take your cue from this little number. You gotta wash your if you must. You gotta wash your hair if you must. You gotta wash your teeth if you must. Oh, 